0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in on a little bit of everything with me, your host, Angelica. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is the talented tiny house builder and my favorite TV carpenter. He is on the hit show, Tiny House Nation. Please help me welcome Zach Griffin to the show. How are you doing today? (laughs)
1: I am doing fantastic, thank you. I, uh, I hate to start out this way, but I, my last name's actually Giffen, oh, no it's- but it's a super common mistake the, and it's almost, it's good to throw it out there so people are kind of aware of it, because otherwise people almost think, like, they're like, come to me, they're like, oh, that was a close one, I almost called you Giffen, <laughs> I'll put the R in there, they're like, they're so convinced that I have an R, so it's, it's a fine way to start out. <laughs> i apologize for that <laughs> Don't please don't
0: so tell us about yourself people who don't know about you um just a little bit of a
1: background okay um well i grew up in colorado i had two brothers one older one younger uh, my father is somewhat of a crazy inventor and that's like an authentic thing mm-hmm. um he, when he was about my age or a little younger, he developed a tool for pottery because he was a ceramic artist and that tool kind of, you know, he brought it to market, um, got patents on it and then has produced the tool. And so that was kind of the family business. He was producing this tool and, you know, that's about almost 40 years ago. And now it's kind of like a worldwide known about thing in, in pottery. So it's called the gift and Grip
0: mm-hmm. and, um,
1: You know, I grew up just around his shop and he always had a lot of equipment um, and he could, you know, build molds. He had these kind of crazy machinist abilities. Um, So, you know, a lot of people kind of ask me like, oh, well, where did you come from? What did you study? And I think it really came from just growing up in that kind of environment and um, with a lot of exposure to equipment and kind of mechanics.
0: Awesome. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I guess beyond that, you know, as, as a young man, I was very much an athlete and I was pursuing skiing and it's my passion and I love the outdoors and climbing mountains. I'm kind of pushing myself. I'm a bit of a risk taker and always have been because, you know, three brothers in the mountains of Colorado, it's kind of just naturally that's where you get drawn Mm -hmm. is the mountains. Um, and I ended up working really, really hard and living like a full-on ski bum for most of my 20s and lived in all sorts of tiny houses from cabins to my van to like a modified RV and just kind of was working at, you know, getting some traction in the professional skiing world and kind of pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Really, it, it's it been one of those things that leaves me with this kind of... um Deep fulfillment and this like just um a commitment to kind of sharing the spreading the joys of minimalism because it's something that allowed me to really pursue that dream and to recognize it um, and follow through with it was was living in a minimalist capacity mm-hmm. um, and I think that that is a lot of times what what so many people experience is the opposite of that is is getting trapped by the belongings and by your expenses into not having an ability to pursue your own dreams. Um mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that's part of it for me is that it, it really did work and I was able to kinda experience what that felt like. Um and it was a very satisfying thing. So I've been a professional skier right up until the point that I got hired on the show and I was still doing carpentry but not it it wasn't it wasn't the only thing that was using to um to, you know, make my life work
0: Mm -hmm. that's so cool so you professional skier and then all of a sudden you were still doing obviously carpentry and then the show came along
1: (laughs) yeah i know i know it's and well, the funny thing is that when you look back on the the path that i've taken through life it's everybody everything seems so disconnected Mm -hmm. but in contrast all of the all of the the trails and the opportunities that i've been provided kind of ended up becoming tied together you know the you know me becoming a carpenter and working and building homes was really about facilitating my life as a skier
0: Mm -hmm. later
1: on the skiing was really what drove me to and actually was able allowed me to fund getting into tiny houses yeah and then that kind of transitioned back into another kind of opportunity which was the the television which was something that I kind of had some experience through, through work, working as a skier, mm-hmm. just uh, working with, with cameras. And so, yeah, even though they're all very, they're very separate directions, they're, they're absolutely tied together in this kind of random and beautiful way.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy how the universe can, you know, put different things together and all of a sudden it leads you to a different path, but then if it's a good, it's a positive feeling opposed to a negative one.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think that that's the lesson that everybody that is successful in life learns is that no matter what it is that comes up, there's always that silver lining there. And yeah. even though it seems like everything's falling apart and it's hor- horrible, as you move through life, you you look back and you figure out, oh, that's where I met that person. Even though that, that moment in my life was horrible, I met that person and that's turned into such a beauty and a joy in my life or or whatever it is, I think. Yeah. There's just... <clears throat> Yeah, there's always a silver lining or, or something, some takeaway that you can transition into a positive somehow.
0: Mm -hmm. So the interest of the tiny house movement, it was from your skiing career as like, how do I be able to travel? And how do I just, you know, traveling can take a toll and plus you're not living in your house, but the time with the tiny house, you're able to be mobile anywhere you go.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that the skiing being a part of the skiing culture, um, it actually is, it's long been a part of it, that this appreciation of kind of the experiences in life and this understanding that, you know, sometimes that requires sacrifices. And, and so people living in a minimalist capacity within the ski culture is nothing new. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, that appreciation for being able to be Uh, a bit mobile or at least bring some kind of comforts of home with you on the road is also deeply ingrained within the ski culture. Um, And that's kind of, you know, those two things of living in a minimalist capacity and pursuing the dreams. And then also this understanding that, hey, if I can bring my house right to the snowstorm, then I can wake up and be there before anybody else. And there's a joy. I mean, that's a big piece of it is like being in position you know, cause everything's dependent on the weather and okay. uh, and the portability is attractive because it allows you to make sure that you're right in position where you need to be.
0: And you have more time for practice. You have more time to, you know, you're not stuck in traffic. You're not stuck in that snowstorm. There's not like all the worst possible conditions. You're just right there and you're maximizing that time during
1: the day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And furthermore, you as a skier if you're also kind of an environmentally conscious person as well you start recognizing that hey this this sport and this thing that i love to do this is very energy intensive Mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can't really get around that because just even the production of the equipment that it requires to go skiing is energy intensive so then if you're to factor in everything else that you do in terms of the transportation to and from the mountain, the energy that it goes into the lifts, um, it leaves a lot of us with this desire to see what we can do to chip away at you know, that intensive energy consumption to pursue the thing that is that we love. And I think that in that, in, it's almost kind of like an experiment and certainly staying right in the store. So in, instead of going back and forth from the mountain from your house, you take a number of days and you go and you immerse yourself Well, right there. You've cut down that, that carbon demand by quite a bit. Um, if you can, if you can learn to, to enjoy hiking instead of only riding lifts, then all of a sudden you don't have to drive as far to get to a place where you can enjoy the mountains, um, things like that. And I think the tiny house, even though it is this like big, uh, heavy thing that uh, takes a lot of gas to tow tow to and from if what you can do is use that as a tool to really extend your the times that you're in that space in a comfortable way there's another element to it in, in that capacity of just being part of that experiment of how do we pursue this thing that we love and and pull away from the the actual energy use that's demanded
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's where I find a lot of people, like when I first watched the show, I will be honest, I was like, what is this? No way Mm -hmm. someone can live in like a 500 square foot home or in a 300 square foot home. And I'm just like, but then when you see the show and actually fully understand it, People are mainly because they want the financial freedom of being able to do more stuff opposed to paying a mortgage and paying all these utilities. And then you start to realize like, oh my God, so now it makes sense yeah. to me. You can live small, just make do with what you've got, but you get to enjoy more of life with less stress.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's what a passion and a dream really does is it puts everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is useful for putting your priorities in perspective. And, you know, when I say, oh, I had a dream to be a professional skier. I mean, it's like, you know, for a large chunk of my life, I would have, you know, I would have done anything it took to try to like pursue that potential for life. And, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. I would have lived in a in a shoebox or, you know, gone through all sorts of, you know, what other people's would think, you know just uh, sacrifices that were too unbearable. I would have done that to be able to to pursue that dream. And I think it's not just skiing. I mean, everybody has their own version. Yeah. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of life is really just pushing yourself to achieve something. And, And it usually takes sacrifice. And by the time that you achieve it, you look back and you, and that sacrifice is turns into pride in, in how much it is that you gave of yourself to actually realize it. And, um, so, so to me, when people, they say that, oh, I could never imagine it's hard because to me, that just means that they've never had a dream that they're passionate enough that they would have given anything for. So I think that that's a piece of this. And for a lot of people, listen, that's just their dream is to have some time with their family finally their dream is to have just a um just a respite from the overwhelming kind of stress that -hmm. they've felt for so much of their life when it comes to finances so so dreams don't just have to be about like this ridiculous occupation or something dreams can simply be i want to get away from this negativity or whatever else it else is, And then when, when somebody has that kind of dream and they put that up against, Hey, well, what kind of sacrifices or potential sacrifices am I willing to, you know, put myself in order to achieve that, then you're, it really puts your absolute needs in perspective. For sure. I, you know, then you're really forced to just look at, okay, what is a imperative for my life and what can I really not live without? Mm -hmm. Um, and then a lot of people find once they do go through that process, they, they actually can live with a whole lot less than they thought that they needed and still somehow maintain happiness, even on another level That is because they're also contained with freedom. And I think the last thing I'll say is that as a designer of tiny homes, I mean, that is really what it is that your goal needs to be is it needs to take a look at each individual and identify what those absolute necessities are and not, not forget about them. And I think that the, the responsibility of the homeowner is, is honesty within themselves and not trying to fit their own life and their own needs into something that they saw somebody else do.
0: Absolutely. It's it's really about that,
1: that, um, that recognition within them, themselves. And that's the perfect time to be honest with yourself.
0: Yeah. hundred um, percent. But okay. So right now you're living in a tiny house.
1: Uh, I actually am renting a condo. It's about 500 square feet.
0: And, so it-
1: uh, I'm renting a condo because I don't have the time to build my own tiny house and I'm going to at some point, but for right now, this is what I'm doing. And also, um, I'm, you know, newly married. I got married in August.
0: Congratulations.
1: Since, you know, before that I was, there was a long period where I was really just living on the road and I had my tiny house, but my tiny house is like a, um, you know, it's a, it's just like cabin on wheels. There's no bathroom in it. There's a kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, there's hot water and whatnot, but it's it's not really set up to be full time lived in in it and it worked for me as a bachelor because it was kind of like a satellite bedroom mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah <laughs> and it was and it was perfect and and i spent a lot of time in the in the cold so i didn't want a bathroom and that's because they're really difficult to deal with um mm-hmm. in negative temperatures whether that's a composting toilet or a or a tank or anything like that yeah um so then, and then, yeah, I uh, have been kind of slowly in the process of introducing my wife to Washington.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I'm not, not trying to uh, make any like sudden committed moves, But I am really excited to build my own tiny house someday.
0: And, and I really get a chance. Would it be a potential that we can see it on the
1: show? Uh I don't believe so <laughs> they're not gonna I I think my tiny house might be too big for the show <laughs> I don't know we'll see I mean it, not that it's just that I'm I'm so much more interested in adequate design yeah you know than I am for the whatever we think of as like the ultra tiny like this is not a it's, there's no competition of like who can go tiny or who can live small. It's about being very realistic about your own life and how much time you spend in the space and what you need from that space.
0: Exactly. And
1: if your space is going to be, you know, portable and that's part of your life mm-hmm. like mine was, it makes total sense to go really tiny. And that's why my home was uh eight by 14.
0: Oh wow. And,
1: and it, and it is that portability that I was after. Um, so, when you're raising a family, which is what I hope to do at some point, you're gonna need a different space, and it's completely adequate and appropriate yeah so yeah i uh i'm I'm definitely looking forward to building a beautiful, beautiful little home and uh and my my whole plan for my space is to well, I'll probably have to put part of it in a foundation unless mm-hmm. you know laws change in this area real quickly. So there's going to be some foundation home that's going to probably have to be at least 400 square feet. And then if I need more space as my family grows, I am really excited about the concept of having, you know, you can call them satellite bedrooms, but yeah. having non-permanent structures that are that are placed in, in a purposeful way in collaboration with the uh, original existing structure. Mm-hmm. um and I've done that a couple times and I've just I just always love that concept
0: yeah so what is the design process for a tiny home what do you where do you start
1: well where do you start I think <laughs> you start with okay what is the purpose of this home um and one of the f- first places for that is like okay is this a is this one that's meant to be traveling, or one that's meant to be stationary? Mm-hmm. Um, is there certain certain zoning bylaws that require certain considerations? Mm-hmm. You know, starting with those two ideas of like, okay, how how are we going to address? I mean, basically the foundation. What type of foundation are you going to have? Yeah. Um, and then once you once you've decided that, then it's like you know you're thinking about. How many people does it need to fit? You know, what's the appropriate kind of size requirement for this kind of space? Um, you know, and then and then once you really kind of like focused on, okay, well what is, what is the because I'm a function first person. You can't tell. Like I'm not <laughs> talking about like, you know, what type of looks you're gonna have or anything like that. That stuff to me is so far down the road it's it's more about okay well what's the function of this entire space let's make a home that really works for your life Mm -hmm. and 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 start with it in that capacity and I think as soon as you've gotten kind of the foundation and the in the size and the location and what the purpose is then you're starting to design things that what I call human requirements Mm -hmm. and I think that we only think about this in tiny home design because in normal homes, all of these human requirements are typically addressed without thought. Yeah. And it's only in tiny homes when the space becomes really tight that people start, you know, I don't need a dining table. I'll eat on the couch or I don't need, you know, these, um, you know, I don't need counter space. I don't cook that much. Um, Yeah you know these these kind of thoughts are what people are forced into when they're in a con- constricted space
0: and that's I think true for
1: me for me the, the first thing is to go into a design and try to identify if there's spots that I I feel are kind of human human desires that are really basically just universal that are missing
0: mm-hmm. and when i see on the show i really appreciate how you come up with these functional designs. Like um, I remember there was one, it was a big family. And I don't remember, it was um, a lot of kids. And the biggest thing was the dining table. They wanted to have all the, fi- all the kids, you know, everyone having dinner together. And you mm-hmm. did some crazy design that I was like, oh my goodness, how did you come up with it? Like. <laughs> What is the what goes through your mind? Like I'm just like in wow, some of the designs, like even the dogs, you know, going up the stairs. I think the the family didn't want um the dogs going up the stairs because they can fall. And then you created some barrier, then you pulled up some a step that had two bowls and some water, and I was just like, Holy crap, that's mm-hmm. amazing to have that <laughs> imagination in your mind to create something like that.
1: Yeah. well. Listen, the, the creativity is the funnest part. Yeah, um, and it's what makes the job instead of just being something that I'm really happy because it's well, wow, this is a great adventure on TV, and it's something I care about and I think is good for the, for the you know society. Mm-hmm. It turns into this is like an amazing artistic exploration and this opportunity to, kind of have this rapid fire prop uh, practice. Yeah. Which is just amazing as an artist, you know, it, I think that is what has turned it into a little bit more of just a, a fun thing to do And now it, it does feel more of like an art that I push myself at,
0: mm-hmm. but it's
1: only been made possible because of the job of working on television and having to keep up with the pace of production mm-hmm. and do it, you know, week after week after week and force yourself to kind of just come up with, with new experiments. Yeah. And, and I think that what I would, what I tell people and I would encourage people to believe is that if you just start engaging in a process like that, you're going to impress yourself with what you're able to generate in in a short order. Um, So that, yeah, that, that the creativity and design, it's just a blessing that that's a really important part in my mind of Mm -hmm. what makes the show, you know worth watching yeah. is that I am there really pushing myself, trying to come up with uh, original designs every single time. I'm not doing stuff that I've seen online and, you know, thought that was cool. I, I really am trying to do things that are that are original semi inventions. I think sometimes I, I come up with something that's a little bit more unique and I think, Hey, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you're just, uh, I, it's it's almost like being a, a musician a little bit where you learn your riffs, you know, you, you, you learn your, your different scales and then, and they're kind of like your tricks. Mm-hmm. And then if you're good enough, you can kind of come in and you sit in with other people and they're just playing a chord for progression But you got your little bag of tricks that you can pull from and you just start to implement them along with the tune. And I think yeah. that that's very much what I do in in the tiny house design for these projects is like, you know, I got my little bag of tricks and then we're trying to address different things. And I have kind of different ways that I know to make something move and I'll employ that. So even though everything looks a hundred percent brand new, I'm actually regurgitating a lot of the mechanical concepts that I've learned and practiced before.
0: That's amazing. That really is amazing. Cause honestly, I may repeat this so many times but me and my mom are just like, how does he do that? Can I do it at home? (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's amazing. Like even, um, Mm -hmm. there was one episode, I remember a lot of episodes, but one of them is the musician on the road and you did something so adorable for their daughter because she's a ballerina. And then you just you did the pull out mirror and then you did the bar for her. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) you made her so happy.
1: Okay. Well, listen, I think that, you know, there, there has to be some honesty too about the process of what we're doing is entertainment in the end of it, you know, we're making entertainment. And so when I go into like a, a home for the television show and mm-hmm. this isn't normal tiny home design. This is for the TV show. Yeah. Um, what I'm, what I'm really kind of thinking about my job is really to create three different projects. Yeah. So at the beginning of the show, I was certainly, you know, helping. We were part of it and we building the foundation and and framing mm-hmm. the walls and going all through it. And as the show has progressed, I've been, further and further from that responsibility and now my responsibility is really just to make sure that we do creative stuff every single time Mm -hmm. and you know it it, it's it's just the way that the show has moved and I don't have control over it but it's such a big part of the show now that it needs to it needs to come off really well otherwise we're not going to have much um and it's, it's just been, it's been this real big pleasure <laughs> because it is such a fun, fun part of it. Okay, but yeah. I, I'm getting back to my point, which is that of these three projects, I think about them in these ways. I think about it like one needs to be an original Zach design that yes. I'm impressed with, that I'm trying to impress myself with, that mm-hmm. is kind of our A project. And then there's a B project that sometimes is as cool as the A project, but the B project, a lot of times for me, I think about it like I'm going to just do really beautiful woodwork. You know, it's going to have some multi purpose, but it's not this original kind of concept sort of contraption. It's more of a, hey, this is just a beautiful piece that solves a problem and we did it. Yeah. And then there's the third project, which I think of as, a project that I usually will try to involve the homeowner with Mm -hmm. like a, it's kind of a DIY, like we're doing it together. Yeah. Or maybe it's a project that is coming from the builder and Mm -hmm. sometimes the builders have cool projects and every once in a while they make it to air and not as much as I would like, I would like to share some of the glory a little bit more than we're able to with the format of the show. Um, but that's kind of how the projects break down in my mind Mm -hmm. so the project that you're talking about yeah is a little bit in my mind like the b project is a lot of times it's just i'm giving the television producers yeah their way like they really want to do something it's like this guy collects baseball cards and they want to do something out of baseball bats and they don't care what it is just do something so i'll be like all right we'll just do this out of baseball bats (laughs) You know, it's it's yeah. and it's that's what I mean. It is entertainment, and and that's why you hire people that know television to make those calls because exactly. it's it's that's what ends up producing a watchable show is you stay on story and you tie things together. Um, so yeah, what oh the, the I guess I'm I'm saying the the one for the ballet stuff. Mm-hmm. I think of that one as kind of like well that was that was the made for TV, that was the made for TV project. Yeah. Yeah. And not that I wouldn't do that for a, an actual home, but that one was very much like about tying that storyline together. But, you know, and also you gotta, I guess it really comes down to the thought process that I feel very strongly about, which is that you can make people who are going to occupy the house, love it. For sure. With really small gestures, Mm
0: -hmm. right?
1: It doesn't always take like a magnificent expense to make somebody just love the place. And a lot of times with children, it's very obvious, like they can have a home that they would kind of feel like, okay, it's there. But if you do something special for them in one little place, all of a sudden their, their appreciation of the entire space, they're not, they're no longer noticing that it's a small home and they're moving into a smaller home. Yeah, They just have this like special piece of it that they love. Um, and it works for adults as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's true.
1: <laughs> so I think in design, basically the concept for me is all about, okay, how can we make a space that you love as much as possible and as, as much as required, given everybody's different tastes and standards. Yeah, um, And then keep it as affordable as possible, because no matter what, I think when I am building tiny homes, even if somebody is really wanting to get a high end tiny home, Mm -hmm. they still, every, everybody in the dining home has a, has the, a thought for not keep, not making things excessively expensive at least. Yeah. Right. So everybody has a budget conscious. Oh, for sure. Project, no matter what level it's at. Mm hmm.
0: So. But it's, what is the most craziest request that you had to, you know, design? Because we know John, your co-star, loves to throw you some curveballs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. You know, it's so crazy because, you know, we've done 84 episodes now. And it just, yeah. they all kind of blend together. I mean... I mean, throwing out crazy requests, like, (laughs) I guess I always bring in, bring up the hang glider, like storing the hang glider inside the tiny home. Yeah. That just seemed like always a little bit like just unnecessary. But then when you really get into it, you're like, no, actually, this is very important to this person. And hang gliders above above anything else, because your life is dependent on it working. Mm -hmm. You don't want to leave out in the weather and let them get tattered. so you know so there's so there's things like that um and then there's other things that are just kind of like all right we have five kids and we're moving into 450 square feet and it's like they're not only looking at me to find a solution for people to sleep but they're also almost looking to me to lend my endorsement that this is a good idea (laughs) <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> uh and as i stated before i'm all about things being appropriate and yeah. within somebody's um budget to you know within their life like living within your means is a really important thing because so many people they they basically have cis- cis- situations that are very very close to not being like something's gonna have to give yeah. And if they want to live within their means, they're going to have to live with less than they're expecting, or For they need sure. to change it. Um, so, so yeah. Um, <laughs> Gotta love John, <laughs> right? Place. Yeah, no. Like, I I think that, especially in the very beginning, that, that was something that kind of created uh, just a funny um, interaction and. Those type of things weren't necessarily like thought of before the show. Just like me and my projects, that wasn't something that was written into the show. Yeah. It was something that I started doing, and it became pretty obvious to the producers, like, "Hey, this is a big element. We need to make this more and more of an element." And I think the same is true with John, kind of throwing curveballs at me. It's like, you know, whenever it would happen, kind of naturally it was like a pretty entertaining scene. And yeah. so it didn't take very long for producers to be like, all right, we, we got to have that happen all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's always a mix because, you know, sometimes I have a, sometimes I'll actually come to John and I'll be like, hey, there's this problem that we're having and yeah. you should come on screen and you should throw me this curveball," You know, so sometimes we are devious and we plan these, these things out. Yeah. But th- it's always better. And the producers will always try to keep me in the dark if they can and surprise uh-huh. me for real. Um, <laughs> but it's the, the sympathy people have for me in those situations is a little unfounded because, you know, if we didn't have these type of things happening and, and the producers didn't make it an element in the show, we wouldn't have a very entertaining show. That is true. And I probably wouldn't have a job still. that is true (laughs) you know all of these things you can't feel sorry for me i do work really really hard you Um, do work really hard we make we make the medium bucks so it's not like we're getting rich out here
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um but the the real reward is that it's it is something that's so gratifying artistically and creatively um creatively and it's also something that is um deeply, deeply needed, the conversations that we are helping to start uh, surrounding not only just minimalism and what it requires for people to be happy, but affordable housing and creating tools that as society we can consider implementing that might help us address things like homelessness and some, some greater societal factors even, such as residential diversity. For so sure. yeah even though even though it is this kind of this show about entertainment and we're using tiny houses and all the cutesiness and all the the cool, fascinating kind of creative elements of it to make an entertaining show, in my mind, what we're really just doing, our main job is not to teach anybody how to build a tiny home, it's about allowing this mentality and the conversations that surround it to get further permeated into society um so that so that the conversations and, and the movement can turn into more action
0: and, exactly. and
1: push ourselves in a in a in a direction that i believe is needed and needed no, for whether sure. it's affordable housing or just good use of resources
0: yeah 100 percent and like when i watch the show it's more of a okay i can live minimal without everything that I have right now I can make little changes um Mm -hmm. I well I've always joke with my husband like hey let's live in a tiny home he's like are you crazy like no (laughs) let's do it come on we go camping in a mortar home, which is the size of a tiny house that you can have or you can have two and I said let's let's do it and he's just like no I can't I can't but you know that's what I get from the show, like the minimalist living, being able to just work with what you got, and having that freedom. Because like it's it's inspiring. What other um, like all these couples or and families who are on the show, it's like you're able to mm-hmm. enjoy that freedom without that financial stress.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I think that. Um, Hopefully for you and your husband, you you guys are living the dream, you know, and you're in a space that yeah. is is uh, something that you can be in without a huge amount of stress, and and you love the place that you're at, um, and I think that's fantastic. And and one of the things that you know I try to remind people that when when someone lives in a tiny house, it's not out of shouting criticism at other people for not living tiny, no. right? It's them just taking control of their own lives and doing what they need to fit their life into a space they can afford and something that works. Um, And, and so, yeah, that's, I guess, I guess the thought is that tiny houses aren't for everybody and it's totally fine. It is, And just like other things that we think of as freedoms in this country, having a choice to determine your own, necessities for life in terms of your living space um is arguably part of that Mm -hmm. and i think that as an as an advocate for um alternative housing um it's it's such an exciting time because there is so many new products and ways of constructing constructing things that are going to make things less expensive and more uh accessible to um to everyone Mm-hmm. But on a fundamental level, the idea that what I'm kind of fighting for is really a, a true American value of freedom and, and self-determination, um, as long as what you're not doing is harming other people. Yeah. So that's the balance that as an advocate, we're trying to hit and, and remind people that this isn't an attack on them. This is the pursuit of our own individual freedom. And we're trying to do it in a way that actually doesn't negatively affect their life.
0: Yeah.
1: Amazing. So, it's a hard thing because you you get when when you start talking about tiny houses, you get into policy um, and yeah. and housing policy pretty quickly because um, the big elephant in the room when you're talking about tiny homes is this um, question of of how you're going to legally live in it. Exactly. And, and since no single place in our country has the same laws as everywhere else, mm-hmm. it's a very hard, hard question to answer. Yeah. Um, But that's definitely the the goal of myself and other people that are kind of advocates um, towards this national conversation. And, and with understanding that as we break down kind of social stigmas that project negativity towards, I mean, a lot of times all things that are affordable housing options, Mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're showing, we're showcasing it in a better light that allows more people to be receptive to it
0: for sure um,
1: and it's a it's a long it's a long process and we've been at it for a long time and I would definitely say that right now there's more momentum to have real um housing kind of reform of some of these policies that block yeah the, the tiny house movement than ever before um and it's it's kind of funny because so much of The tiny house community and the movement comes from a little bit of a a radical leftist mentality um and in terms of environmental policy and and all of those other elements it's uh it's kind of deregulation Mm -hmm. you know this very conservative um thought process of deregulation that is I think what's going to really get this to, to go through forward. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be coming from uh, the, the very, you know, do gooding left. It's going to become from people who recognize that there is blockages to this big industry that has an ability for, um, you know, the removal of this regulation to allow for the private sector to come and create solutions. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) And I really believe it. It's, it's, it's happening right now. Um, And tiny, tiny homes and, and deregulation of the housing is something that's entered the conversation at kind of high levels in the political world right now. And it's very exciting.
0: It is, it really is. And I feel like you need to come to Canada where I'm from because some people don't know about this tiny house movement that's happening.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people also in Canada, at least the places that I spend time will look at you and be like, what do you mean? We've been living in cabins for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but you're right. I think um, a lot of times, yeah, people in our world today, even with, with all the pressures um, coming from the requirements and the obvious need for us to rain back our energy use for life and you know to really utilize all the resources that we have and, and extend them as far as possible it is pretty surprising how few people have like have, have learned about anything other than this continual process to bigger better bigger better
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: but it's it's a big it's a it's a real movement and it's not going anywhere
0: no it's just gonna and keep growing
1: well, yeah, and especially i mean the the real thing is that it's a it it will it's a pendulum shift like ever everything, and I think that there are truly kind of elements to the movement that are a little bit about just excitement and a bit of a fad mm-hmm. but the real the real um drivers to the popularity of this movement being the economic factors and um, that have led to the housing appreciation, the, where it is. Yeah. Um, these environmental factors that are really mandate mandating that we take a hard look at, you know, how we conduct ourselves in this world and and the energy that we demand. Um, these things are not going anywhere and they're only going to become much and much, much more, um, important in years to come. So Mm -hmm. I do believe that we're just getting in the, in, in the start of this whole process um and i'm just hoping that we're not going to wait for another housing recession before we start to implement some of it
0: yeah what is the most rewarding part of when you personalize a tiny home for someone or family
1: you know the most rewarding part is if I see them having set kind of connected all the dots, not only just building the home, but to craft that life, Mm -hmm. because then I really believe in the success. And I believe that the work that I've going to, that I've done is really going to, to benefit their life. Um, because I I believe that their journey is going to be successful, I guess. So when I see somebody, uh, rearrange their life in a way that I can see like, wow, they, they've done it. They've, they've worked it out well and they've, they've thought of all the other, all the aspects. And, and this is definitely going to go, you know, the other thing that that's, that's what makes me really happy just mm-hmm. in my job is, as I feel like I've I've done my part to advise them in any way I can. And, um, and then what really, really makes it satisfying is if you do believe that they're going to use this as a tool to pursue a dream that they're that they've been kind of holding on to
0: yeah know. for sure
1: that's that's there's a lot of different purposes that people want to move tiny but to me the most fulfilling to, to help are the ones that it's like they are using this as a way to escape that trap and remember this vision of themselves that they've always dreamt of. Yeah. And if I think that that's going to facilitate them recognizing their dreams, well, then I'm basically a hero. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that, not a, Not that I'm the hero, but that's, you know, what, what more could you wish for? for, for exactly. For sure. To have that kind of experience. Um, for sure. And, uh, and a lot of times I talk about the tiny homes as a tool to get your life back together. And what I'm really talking about is, is a tool to allow you to kind of scrape away all of the obstacles in your life that keep you from focusing on being the person and living that life that you always dreamt of. For sure.
0: You said it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. I have this question. What was it like to meet little John?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. It was completely amazing and inspiring. Little John is a very inspiring person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, the process of life is going through and finding kind of what you're talented at and, and working hard and then, and then utilizing any kind of, opportunity that you have to to move forward in your life and pursue that talent and i think you know little john man he is just he has his journey is so amazing in that he didn't get into rap as a rapper he got into music as kind of an engineer minded person and then worked himself into this position where he was producing for all of these people and mm-hmm. you know on this production side worked it and got produced all of these hits for people that you would never expect yeah and then later on like transitioned into having this being this like icon within this sh- certain genre of hip-hop which is crunk to the point where he call him, he calls him, I mean he's the crunk king now and he's I mean he's the king of an entire music genre and then he's also a rapper you know and he yeah. became world famous as a pop star rapper and then now i think he's a dj like he just he and i really love that and respect that um about somebody who can transition through life into all these other disciplines yeah um because i'm somebody who i love skiing and i love woodworking and i love all these things that i love but i'm also very aware that and I believe deeply that I could learn to love you know other things just as deeply as i I could love skiing, you know even though I've done all my life, and I think that that's an important thing for people to think about because you never know when skiing's going to get taken from you exactly you know you you could lose your legs tomorrow and then you'd need to have that ability to learn to love something you can do with your hands, yeah um. And uh, if everything gets taken from you, you better learn how to do things that you love with your mind, you know? Um, so I think for little John, what was so cool is that he he has that, that he's just a multifaceted artist. And then the other thing was just meeting him and learning that, wow, this person that we know of as little John is a character. Yeah. And John Smith, the person that I met is, a human being whose priorities are just as human as any of us, which always come down to kind of our family and, you know, how these very mundane kind of logistics of life, like I don't want to have to drive from here to there all the time, you know, cutting out, you know, and these were his concerns and like, how am I not going to piss off the neighbors? I'm going to be playing loud music. yeah, Um, And, uh, yeah it's just a it's a very humanizing experience anytime you you meet somebody like that that number one has this like crazy degree of fame, but then number two is almost a little bit of a caricature, and then you find out, oh yeah, they're just like anybody else
0: exactly, and down to earth,
1: yeah, yeah, and not everybody is like down yeah. to earth i that's not but I think not everybody is down to earth, no matter what kind of success you've had. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's a variety of, of personality types that come with, with anything. Um, you know, I did one with, with, uh, um, Deion Sanders also, and, and he was an amazing person to work with. And and both of them were just extraordinarily inspiring just as human beings that, you know, how hard they've push themselves Deion Sanders an athlete is like yeah. uh in a league of his own at, you know on some levels at some points in his life um and I would farly I would I would hardly call Deion Sanders <laughs> like humble you know I don't Yeah, know. he was personable he was he was definitely a rock star you know I mean he's yeah he's been he's been just a, a larger than life human being for so long that at some point that actually turns into who you are. No,
0: you know? for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's this thing called like fake it until, until you make it. And after a while you fake it long enough. Mm-hmm. it's I don't know if you make it, but you almost, it really does. It does turn into the true you, I guess.
0: Yeah, no. And you learn, you learn a lot from different people. And, and I feel like when you find those people that, you believe in how they they can be inspiring and how they've been become successful, and then you kind of take away from that, you know, and then you mm-hmm. build your own, and then you become yourself. You become somebody else, but taking those yeah.
1: experiences, yeah. And I, I guess coming back to the original thing about bringing Deion Sanders that uh, Little John, you, you know, he was all of these like amazing kind of superstar and stuff, but he was also a very humble person. Yeah. Um, and I, and, you know, I don't, I wouldn't, that's my only point not to discount Deion Sanders in any way, but I just really do appreciate when someone has been able to gain a certain degree or a really extraordinary degree of fame and still, still be able to prioritize relating, pe- relating to people on a human level as human beings. Yeah. Um, and John Smith, absolutely, was a, was a very, very kind and humble human being. That's and it's awesome. surprising. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> expect it when you see little John. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other projects are you working on when there's no show recording, there's nothing going on? What are you doing?
1: Well, I have um, two major, major things in my life that are big projects. Um, and neither one of them is building a tiny house. One of them, well, one of them is building a lot of tiny houses and it's, uh, a nonprofit that I work with operation tiny home. And I'm, you know, a big piece of it. And we go around the country really trying to help create these villages of tiny homes for homeless veterans. Yeah. Um, so it's a really easy concept to get, you know, it's, you're giving somebody what we're doing. We're building homes that are like. They're fully functioning homes. They're super mm-hmm. small, about, you know, a little under 300 square feet, depends on the one. But it's about striking that kind of balance between affordable and dignity,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: And so we're really trying to make sure that people get to move into tiny homes they're proud of. For sure. And then they have that pride and the independence and the security that comes with that having a space of one's own. And then in the combination, in a village setting, they're also, we're designing in elements that contribute to socialization on a natural capacity, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's not hard to kind of imagine the, the health benefits, the mental health benefits that come from really breaking down the isolation that comes with homelessness. Yeah. And in a safe manner, allowing people to introduce themselves in social capacities um and and it's really just about okay, what does a what does a really healthy environment that kind of creates positive mental health and natural capacity look like
0: yeah.
1: and just like I was saying with designing a home, it's like there is these kind of human requirements. And privacy is one of those human requirements, security. So you got to make sure that people have elements of privacy and independence and security, but then also not isolations or tribal species. So, you know, people are introverts and extroverts, but all of us thrive on some levels in feeling of belonging, right? And belonging to a supportive network of individuals is an incredibly healthy thing. So that's why we're doing the whole push with veterans. Um, I teach workshops. So travel around the country and I teach veterans how to build the home. So we're building a home at the same time as we're teaching and we're kind of supporting this village, the creation of the village, um, which is always um, directed by local nonprofits. Wow. Um, and it's a really, really cool thing that's gotten all sorts of traction, um, and, and turned into this big, big, incredible thing in my life. And it's great. That's amazing. Um, We recently just did our very first workshop, which is really no different than what we've done with veterans, but it's for a tribe up here in Washington state, uh, the Lummi nation. Mm -hmm. So they're doing a very similar village, very similar, similar thought process in terms of the value that that village is going to be bringing and um, it was just a it was just a huge success and now the village is getting started
0: no way uh,
1: oh yeah yeah i got the foundations for a lot of them poured um you know we've been doing this since 2016 i think was my first workshop and You know, at this point, where in the beginning we're just kind of operating like, hey, this is a great concept. These villages will be really helpful and we can see all these positives that they could bring. To now, a number of the villages that we've helped in the very beginning are fully operational and up and running and expanding to other cities in some places. Um, And it's a totally different thing because what used to be just theoretical is now. Just this thriving ongoing entity that is really having a big effect in people's lives, so we're beyond just the theory part where we have operational examples, and it's amazing.
0: Wow, that's fascinating, and you're helping these veterans out, oh my God that's inspiring oh, it's,
1: it's a real thing i I trust me, I could do, and I do actually full podcasts about what what it's about because you know I mean. Yeah, like the reason that I'm even really a part of it is is two parts. It's it's one, because people were coming to me with these concepts of these villages and really kind of hearing them out, understanding, yeah, I can totally understand why this is an, a cost-effective thing for our country yeah. to start to develop. But then the second part is that, yeah, it is. As an American, it's just a national disgrace. It's just a national sadness. This homeless. Veterans' problem that we've been talking about and dealing with most of my life, all of my life, really. Um, we don't have any better handle on it now than we did before,
0: mm-hmm. and it's
1: leading me to believe that we're not we're not trying to solve it in the right way. And I don't want to I don't want to criticize anybody else's effort to to help anybody, especially veterans. But I just believe that this whole concept of these villages is something that is Not just a really um, can can make sense on an intellectual common sense level, but is also something that is very cost effective. Yeah, because building these villages, in comparison with like a large apartment building or or the other options that people have developed, is actually a lot. There's just a lot less hurdles that you have to go through in order to construct this kind of village than a typical shelter. And furthermore, any time that we take a veteran off the streets, we're going to be saving our country a lot of money. Um, And basically anyone that's homeless, because of all of the extra um, police enforcement and the medical assistance that's unnecessary, Mm -hmm. all of these things are services that whether or not somebody is, um, you know, they're like, think they're. Absorbing these services, this is what it costs our country, yeah, and so when we're looking for solutions, we really need to be factoring in that hey we're going to be we pay for people that are homeless, regardless of what, whether we want to or not, yeah. so if we can utilize a little bit of resources in a way that's going to turn that person from being a net negative in our society and allow them to go on a path of of self sufficiency and and turn them into actual net positive um that's just a really great return on investment well so, for sure yeah and and i think that what i really think about these villages is that it's when the battle is mental health you know what i think about this is that it's preventative medicine for mental health just mm-hmm. like exercise and good diet or for physical it's kind of you're, you're designing communities that facilitate positive mental health as opposed to leaving somebody in an isolated environment that does the opposite.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: And then other than that, I have a, a tool called the Zach rabbit that I'm trying to bring to market with my dad. It's an oh. amazing tool. It's going to change the world. It's a, uh, it's a quick change countersink tool that is something that I use every day on my job. And ironically, it's legitimately one of the most useful tools you could possibly own if you are interested in doing kind of DIY projects um, mm-hmm. and want to fix stuff around the house. Basically, if you have a drill, you know, the Zack Rabbit, you can do all sorts of awesome projects. So that's my personal plug sales pitch on my tool. Hopefully the Zach Rabbit. Harder... yeah if you want to yeah if you want to learn about it it's at ZachRabbit.com.
0: perfect i want to check that
1: out it's pretty cool don't tell i don't don't say i didn't warn you that it's really cool you might get pretty excited but... <laughs> <laughs> i want to
0: check that out that's awesome what else you got going on
1: uh what else did i got going on um I'm going to go to Washington DC on the first and I'm the keynote speaker and and basically celebrity appearance person at the um, it's a conference that they're having that uh, the Housing and Urban Development HUD is putting mm-hmm. on and it's called the innovation I think it's the innovative housing cabinet oh geez now Oh, I'm busted. I don't even know what the title of it is, but it's this really cool five-day festival thing that's happening on the lawn of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. Um, and I will be there talking on June 1st on Saturday. And then I'm going to be, I'm going to actually moderate a conversation afterwards as well. So it's going to be really cool. It's with Ben Carson and, you know, a, the, the movers and shakers out there in the, in the affordable housing world. Awesome. So it's an indication that things are getting ready to actually, I think, make, make real shifts that aren't just talk, but, but actually policy shifts. And for sure. No, our, that's
0: great. Yep.
1: Yeah, we've had a lot of deregulation for the sake of industry mm-hmm. out there in in our, in our world lately. And I think that it's time for deregulation within our housing sector so that some of us that, that need places to live, um, can team up with industry people that are providing lower cost places to live.
0: For sure. No, that's really good. What you're doing and creating all this awareness and using tiny home living to make it affordable. And it's, it's everything.
1: Like, what you're man, doing now is amazing. And manufacturing in the U.S., brings <laughs> jobs.
0: Exactly. See? Look at you, Zach. Multi-talented.
1: Hell, uh, mul- yeah. Who knows? It's, uh, <laughs> I've always had a problem of not taking on too many projects.
0: Oh, that's like me. I'm. I'm always... It's either one thing or the other. Like, I work full-time, then I do this part-time, and then I got... I volunteer for, cause I'm dyslexic. So I'm part of the learning uh-huh. disabilities association and it's just like, I've got too much happening, but I love it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's actually, it's probably important. It's that way. By the time you're sick of one thing, you're already involved in something else.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to play a game with you. Okay. So it's called this or that. So I'm going to give you two options and you're just going to tell me which one you prefer. Okay. Pasta or pizza? Pasta. Coffee or tea?
1: Uh, coffee.
0: Beach vacation or sightseeing vacation?
1: Uh, a ski vacation. Sightseeing <laughs> okay, I'll go beach vacation because I bet I can surf there.
0: Winter or summer?
1: Uh, gotta go with winter. I'm sorry
0: because you love skiing. I gotta
1: have it. Yep,
0: chips or cookies? Summer
1: <laughs> means work to me.
0: Winter oh, means,
1: winter means play, summer means work. <laughs> Chips or cookies uh, cookies
0: and um, reading a book or listening to music
1: uh, listening to music
0: So that's all I have for now, but where all right. can all
1: right. those are hard you can't want you don't want to choose between music and reading, <laughs> but if I have to be honest with myself you can't you can't mess with you can't mess with music no it's therapeutic music has to come first it's got to come first
0: i feel like like every guest i had sorry go ahead
1: (laughs) well i was gonna say because you could just go back you know where people just told stories yeah you know you didn't have to read them but you wouldn't want to go to a point with no music
0: that's true and then yeah. it gets too quiet.
1: You'd have to go a long ways back in history. <laughs> I don't even know if it would be possible. No.
0: <laughs> I feel like every guess I had, they're like, why do you make these so hard? I'm like, I don't think they're hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, some of us just don't want to, you know, we don't want to choose this or that. And <laughs> I understand that. I think that that's what we're we're doing in the tiny home world is that we're trying to say, hey, why does it have to be like either a home or slavery? Why can't it be like something in between, like a home and like a life that doesn't feel like slavery?
0: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I see that. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, so I guess we just want it all. Blame us for that.
0: Yeah. But that's just society and culture, because we can technically have it all, but, you know, there is consequences that comes with it, mm-hmm. depending on the state that you're in, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so where can the listeners uh, follow you, see your updates, and what you're doing?
1: Oh, geez. Well, I think that the big thing that people need to realize is that we're going to be on Netflix. Oh! Yeah. <gasps> so it's not going to be all of the seasons but it's going to be the start of the season and if they watch it and tell all their friends then we're going to do more because netflix will order more so yes. the big thing is that everybody gets really excited for august when it's going to be on netflix um and uh it's it's also on a and mm-hmm. um, and it just went on netflix international so it's right now it's it's on Netflix International, which is like 140 countries.
0: That is awesome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm excited because I've been recording all these episodes. Because I'm here in Canada, we have it available on Annie. um okay. And so I just I know that most of it have been like from season one, a mixture of like um, from when you guys started was 2014. So I'm like seeing uh-huh. reruns, and I'm just like, oh my god, are they? Co-? I know there was announcement that. It was coming. So is it coming? Is there a new season on Annie well, or is it just on the Netflix? New, the
1: the finale of the new season was on the 8th of May. Mm-hmm, yeah. So they played, you know, or they played the first half of the new season and they're going to play the second half in the fall.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was a bit
1: confused. Yeah. So. That's yeah.
0: exciting. Netflix. Mm-hmm.
1: It's pretty exciting.
0: So I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time and doing this with me.
1: Well, you're very welcome.
0: I appreciate your craftsmanship and spreading the tiny house movement. And like John says, tiny houses are the next
1: best thing. (laughs) I think you said it's the next big thing. But it's okay. (laughs) I like best better. I like best, better because you know that people just can't do tiny houses with doing a play on words and saying something is big. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's too tempting. It's yeah. just low hanging fruit. You can't you can't, can't deny low hanging fruit like that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much, Zach.
1: Right. Yeah, no. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: And to all our listeners, um, check out Zach on A&E in Canada. Um, obviously, check your local listings. And also, um, once again, Zach, thank you so much. And it's bye for now. All right. all right. Take care. Thank you. You too. Hi, my name is Casey Gonzalez. I'm with Chef Salty Pork. Hello, everyone. It's the Coupon Queen Pins. From the CQP Moments podcast.
1: Hi everyone, this is Mark the Shark from the Mark the Shark MMA show.
0: Hi, this is Stephanie Valente, a the massage therapist. And you're here is listening to, to a little, little bit of everything with everything. Angela in hope you enjoyed this episode just don't forget to rate review and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to that's it for now and thanks for listening on a little bit of everything with me